The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Good morning, ACF Church. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors. I got my Clark Griswold mug going on. Um, You have entered into Ugly Christmas Sweater Sunday. Welcome. If you don't have a sweater, I'm sorry to make you feel left out. But um, you can admire the rest of the ugly sweaters in the room. Um, Anyway, enjoy that today. Get some eggnog on your way out if you haven't gotten any. So we're glad that you're here. It's just been a good Christmas season so far, you guys. It is going to be Christmas in no time. So it's just uh, it's, it's going fast. The season's going fast. We're going to be into January um, here before we know it. Uh, new season at Downton Abbey starting up. Come on. Boo. Listen, listen, listen. Any man can watch football. It takes a real man to watch Downton Abbey. just want to tell you that. So anyway. I love that show. I do. I do. Um, so yeah, lots of good stuff going on. We're in a series called God in the Manger where we're asking the question, who was this baby in the manger? Was he just a good man? Did he, was he just a good teacher? Or was he truly God? And if he was God, then what does that mean for our Christmas season? And so we've been going through some different things about the mystery and, and the waiting. And this week we're talking about redemption specifically. Um, we launched an initiative a few weeks ago called uh, Hashtag ACA. If wish online. And so our, our challenge to you was that by the end of the series, every one of you have gone onto your social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and that you have put on a hashtag ACF wish with some kind of wish or dream or something. Uh, you can even do it dur- during service today. I won't judge you if you pull your phone out. Don't worry. Um, but you can get on and do a hashtag ACF wish. And there's been some really cool momentum that's been gathered by this, you guys. Uh, many of you have just stepped out in generosity trying to make some of these wishes happen. And so Um, I just love that, that you guys are just being so gracious and generous and serving each other. And so some really cool ones. Let's kind of show a couple of those that we've had um, come out so far. Here's kind of a cool one. Uh, Lauren wishes that she could get a really cute stuffed animal to snuggle with so that when my pain is too bad, I could feel comfort. Thank you to the person who made my ACF wish happen. It's kind of a silly thing to ask for, but as an adult, I cried knowing someone who cares that much. Give them a hand for just being a servant and uh, grabbing that for her. It's little things, you guys. It's, it's a stuffed animal. It's silly. You know, it's just a couple bucks at the store. But you really can make somebody's day by blessing them that way. Uh, let's show the next one. Another one. Jared uh, had a great night tonight with friends and food and some Christmas what does it say? Fun? Uh, I think Jared's ACF wish has been fulfilled. So Jared had wished for some daddy moments. We showed that last week. And I think he got some good dad moments, some good family moments. If you haven't already been to like 10, 15 Christmas parties this year, maybe you need to plan one, have some friends come over to your house and just enjoy each other this season. Really, that's one of the coolest things this season is just spending time with friends, enjoying each other. Uh, do we have that last one? Let's see what the last one is. Uh, someone just stopped in this week. This was from the church and dropped off fuzzy socks. So somebody had wished for fuzzy socks. Somebody went and bought them fuzzy socks. And by the way, if, if you wished for fuzzy socks, I think we still have those. 
for you. I'm not sure that we've gotten them to you yet. So stop by the office this week. Get your fuzzy socks um, just as a blessing to you. Well, there's actually one more. I don't know if you guys do we have that other. No, we couldn't get the other one up. But we had one more. Um, the wish was that, uh, that they could do a baby dedication before they leave town in the church that they were baptized in. And so could we just have you guys up this morning? Josh is coming up. Could you give them a hand? Bring up William and Megan Stanley. This is really cool. Yeah, we saw this uh, hashtag ACF wish that they wanted to consecrate their baby that they just had in the same church where they were both baptized in. So really special moment, special opportunity, kind of last minute, like, hey, we can make this happen as a church. And, and this so, is your last week, right? This is their last so week. So they're leaving town this week. So. And so where are you guys headed to, first off? Washington, D.C., PCSing to Washington, D.C., and so uh, we just want to remember to, uh, remember to remember the Stanleys in our prayers as they're getting ready to move with a new baby, but we want to consecrate this beautiful girl this morning, and what is her name? Mila. Mila. Mila Stanley. How awesome. So what we're going to do is we're just going to consecrate this baby, and if you've never been to ACF before when we've done a consecration, there's you know, a lot of churches call them dedication, consecration. We specifically call them consecration because we really like the term of what that means. The, the literal term of consecration means to set apart, to make sacred. Um, that we view parenting as a sacred um, uh, thing that we do between us as a parent and God and the church. Um, that it's not just raising them the best that we hope we can and then hopefully they're set up and out the door they go when they turn 18. But to actually take these years and look at them as a sacred opportunity that God has given us this blessing and this opportunity to bless these uh, and raise these children uh, for him. And so what we're going to do is I'm just going to... Um, uh, just ask you a couple questions. I'm going to ask the church a couple questions because we also believe that it's not just up to the parents to raise the child. That we truly believe that it, it takes a village and that as the body of Christ, as the family, that is all of our responsibility to help uh, look out for each other's children and especially when it comes to raising them and pointing them towards Christ. And so a couple quick scriptures. Of course, we have Matthew 19:14 when Jesus says, bring the little children unto me, don't hinder them. And, and especially this Christmas season, that if we could have the faith like children to see God in the manger. Uh, but then also I love Luke 2:52, And it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor of God and man. And to kind of break that down in our prayer for um, this morning is that uh, Jesus grew in wisdom, he grew in faith, and he grew in friendship. And those are three key important things as we raise our children, as we consecrate them, that they would grow in wisdom, that they would grow in faith, and that they would grow in friendships that they make growing up. So first I want to talk to you two um, and just ask you, do you guys uh, as parents promise to love and to support your, your child, uh, to raise her with godly discipline and to raise her with the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his word? If you, if you would plan to do that, just say we will. Awesome. In congregation, you guys, even as the, as the Stanleys are leaving, and this is the last moment, it's still good just as a reminder. I want to ask you guys this for, for, for them and for just all the children in this church. And believe me, there's a lot of children in this church. If you don't know that, you can go downstairs and take a look right now. Um, they're, they're, it is packed downstairs. But as a congregation, do you promise to support fam these families? Do you promise to support these parents and their children to love the kids, to support the parents when it's needed, and, and, and to do your best uh, to, in your best ability to give them loving, godly examples to these kids and, and this child specifically uh, as the body of Christ? If you do, church, just say that we will. Awesome. And I know they're leaving, but that's just such a good reminder for all the families that are here at ACF. 
So I'm going to go ahead and just pray right now. Is it Mila? Just Mila. All right. God, I just thank you, God, for William. I thank you for Megan. God, I thank you for Amelia. Lord, I just, what a blessing and an opportunity to be able to consecrate this baby girl, God, that you have given this Stanley family. God, and to be able to do it in the same place that they were baptized, Lord, and just committed their life to you, Lord. And now this morning, they're committing as parents to raise this precious girl, Lord, for you. God, that they're not just hoping and wishing, God, that she turns out well, God, but they're going to take parenting as a responsibility, God. And they're going to look at it as a sacred calling, Jesus, to raise Mila for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that uh, we just pray your blessing on Mila, God, that you would, Lord, allow your spirit to fall on her. God, and as she grows, that she would grow in wisdom, she would grow in faith, and that she would grow in friendship, God, just as you did as a child. We love you, God, and we thank you for her. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Give them a hand. When we saw that hashtag ACF wish, I was like, Megan Stanley had a baby. There's two of them in our church. So I'm like, ah, I didn't know about the baby. So surprising. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's, that's awesome. So it's been really fun, you guys, so far. Um, just blessing each other. And if you have a chance, get on there. You can read all the hashtags and maybe you can bless somebody um, or you can share something on there. It can be serious. It can be a prayer need or it can just be uh, something funny. You just want some fuzzy socks. So that's good enough. This week we're talking about being redeemed. We're talking about Jesus coming to the earth to redeem humanity to himself. There's this, this vertical relationship between us and God. And as the church, what we believe is that, that that vertical relationship at the very beginning in Genesis, as we read about sin coming into humanity, that that vertical relationship was broken. And that Jesus came to repair and restore that relationship between us and God. But horizontally, there's still some issues, right? As we look at each other, uh, we have problems, we have relational issues, uh, we get angry, we get frustrated, we get offended with each other. Horizontally, uh, maybe, maybe you are aligned with God now. Maybe if you are a believer and you've received Jesus, this vertical relationship is restored. But as you look horizontally, you realize that in my relationships in this world, there are still problems, there are still issues. And I don't know how you deal with it. How do you deal with those problems? What, what way do you use to make those things better? So I want to, if you in the past 12 months have had a relational issue, some kind of falling out with somebody, just raise your hand. Past 12 months, some kind of relational issue? Yes, come on, be honest. Your wife's like, dude, raise your hand. Come on, we're not doing good. It's okay. So it's like everybody. We've all had some kind of relational discord, some kind of problem. And maybe right now you're right in the middle of it. Maybe you're sitting next to that person. I don't know. Um, But we all have relational problems. And so how do you deal with it? What do you do? Do you retaliate? Do you seek revenge? Do you seek restoration and redemption? What does that actually look like? I've got a little two-year-old, Grayson, and... uh, he is the picture of this. He is, he's awesome. And we were, I was actually reminded of this story last night. We were talking with some friends, but he was in the backyard this summer. We were having a barbecue with our life group and he's playing with his little purple car. It's this little plastic purple car that you can sit in and push yourself around. And he's playing with another little boy and they're having fun. All is well. Grayson's in the car. I turn around to flip some burgers and just this commotion breaks out behind me. I turn around and Grayson is going like total honey badger on this little guy, just like elbows and fists. And he's like, 
like laying on top of him and there's arms and they're screaming and yelling and parents running over. And I, I grab Grayson and I, I pull him off the little guy, you know, because what had happened is he tried to take Grayson's purple car, which as a man, nobody takes your car. You know, somebody takes your car, you lay into him. And so it, it was a really difficult moment because as a dad, you know, it's I, I, two things. I'm like, this guy has a future in MMA because he is a little fighter. And for a little guy, he's got he's got some strength. And the second thing was it's really hard to discipline your kids when like on the inside you're going that's my boy you know i mean because from from my perspective he totally won and so it's just what he knows how to do like nobody taught grayson how to like jump on a little guy's back and just go crazy and freak out when somebody takes something from he's never seen me jump on anybody's back and freak out when somebody took something from me nobody had to teach him it's just in his dna he just knows somebody takes something from him you retaliate you fix it you get it back because you need to win you know and some of you guys some of you are road ragers come on rageaholics on the road be honest you know it you 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 you're stuck in traffic they're in front of you you pull up next to them and you look right you got to look in the mirror and see who it was that was slowing you down and you give them the stink eye and then you get in front of them and then what do you do you slow down that's right that's right you just give them a little taste of their own medicine and you seek retaliation you reset the scales in your favor and all of a sudden you feel better as a human being because there is there is justice and uh, the thing is when we do this, we, we, we seek retaliation. We seek to take justice into our own hands. And what we're really saying to God is that your justice is insufficient. We're really like, God, whatever you're going to do, maybe this is just something that's upsetting me, but I feel offended. I feel like I've been wronged. And I feel like whatever you're going to do isn't going to be enough. And so I need to take it into my own hands to make this right. And how many of you know that never works out well? Like rarely, if ever, does retaliation and revenge bring peace. And, and if, you, if you've done this before, what you know is you always take it too far. You always take it just a little too far. And you, you end up thinking, man, now I'm the problem. Now I feel bad about myself. Now I made the mistake instead of just letting them make the mistake. It's so hard. What we need is true redemption. And if we're honest, we know that vertically between us and God, there's this rift, there's an issue, and and maybe you haven't had that healed. And maybe you're like, listen, I think God and I are probably cool. I don't need Jesus. But over time, what you're going to see as you look at your life is that we have impulses that are offensive to God and that don't value other people or ourselves very well. And that over time, the more you try to fix it, the more you try to stop, the more you realize that you are incapable of being better than you are and that that we really need the strength of god within us through jesus to realign this vertical relationship then horizontally how do we fix this how do we make it better in the christmas season it's really difficult because all of these relational issues are magnified during christmas right like the christmas movies where the family's fighting you know and throwing food across the table that's real life that's that's reality because there's just problems in our families and it's hard because it's a season of expectation And we all want this to be fun and exciting and we all want to feel joy and sing Christmas carols and give out candy and food to each other. But on the inside, there's there's issues and there's problems. And it seems to almost hurt more the Christmas season. It seems to bring more pain. So we want to we want to focus on the relational portion of redemption today. And redemption is just simply a word for deliverance. Anybody need some deliverance today? 
I could use some deliverance. And redemption is just saying we want to be delivered from the situation that we're in or we want to help other people be delivered out of the situations that they're in. And this Christmas, I think for a lot of people, uh, is a season where people act like everything's okay when it's really not. You know, like December 26th hits and guess what? There you are. And there all your problems are. And nothing is different. We don't need an illusion of redemption centered around a tree and a bunch of Christmas presents. What we need is true redemption centered around Christ himself. Amen, church? That's what we want this Christmas. And that's my prayer for us today. Let me pray for us. We're going to open God's word. Jesus, thank you so much um, for the blessing that you are. God, we ask that you would be in this place today, God, that you would speak to us. God, that you would help us to set aside our distractions, all the things, God, that would keep us from hearing you today. Father, and that you would empower us to walk forward one foot at a time towards redemption in our lives and others in our life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you want to, you can open up the Bible that's in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that Bible home with you. It might be underneath your chair. Um, You can also open up your ACF Church app on your Android or iPhone. And we've got an app that you can follow along the notes there. We're going to go to chapter 5 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to hang out today. To really experience the redemption that we're talking about today, it's going to take a total resetting of our perspective on the world. It's going to take God coming in and changing everything. And this is hard, and I don't know if you're ready for this. Oftentimes when God wants to change my heart, it hurts and it's painful, and I'm not ready for it. I ask for it. You know, you pray, God, would you just show up in my life? And then he does, and it hurts. You know, uh, that's hard sometimes. And so I have, uh, I have an old pickup that I've been working on for a while. And if you know me, I'm a mechanic. I love to build things and fix things and work on things. And there's my old truck. She don't look like much, but she runs real good. Um, and the kids call the kids call him Mater. And so this is Mater. And uh, anyway, it's a it's a 1950 Chevy. Found it out in in uh, Wasilla, buried in the weeds, up to the axles in mud. And I found it. And I was really excited because I was just going to put some fuel in the tank and I was going to put some spark plugs in the motor and I was going to drive it. And I was so stoked. So I tow it home. I start looking into it and I realized this thing is a mess. Like there's parts missing. <laughs> I didn't even realize there was a floor mat on the floor. I moved the floor mat and I could actually stand on the ground and hold the steering wheel because it was so rusted out. It was just a mess. I So I began this process of disassembling this entire vehicle. I mean, every bolt, every nook and cranny, everything was taken apart piece by piece. The fenders were pulled off. The engine was yanked out. You know, the the brakes were pulled apart. The tires were pulled off. Everything was disassembled because I realized this wasn't just going to be kind of a slap a coat of paint on it and drive it home type of project. This was going to be a total dismantling and rebuilding of this vehicle. And that's that's the only way it was going to run. And and for us, what I want to tell you is that to, to go where we want to go today in terms of redemption, it's going to take some work and it's going to cost you something and it's going to dismantle your worldview in the way that you see yourself. Matthew 5:38 says this. You've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Anybody good at that? 
This is a hard truth. This is difficult stuff. He's referring back to this law of retribution in Exodus where he's, he's talking about the eye for an eye. And this law was supposed to be part of their judicial system as a way of protecting people and saying, listen, there are consequences for your actions. If you do something to somebody else, there is going to be a punishment for that. But what had happened in their days, it had often been abused as a reason to retaliate. Like what, what had been this judicial law was now individually applied to all of life, you know? Like, so somebody takes your purple car, you go steal their purple car, right? It just, so, so it wasn't intended to be that. It wasn't intended to be a, a, an imperative for all circumstances. It was a judicial law made to, to protect people. So this passage, it really guts us. It's really hard. You know, don't resist the one who's evil. Turn the other cheek. This is not easy stuff because you know that if you get slapped on the cheek, I want to slap you on your cheek, right? It's not easy. I don't, I don't just turn the other cheek. This is the gutting of your worldview. And the core of this worldview that I think Jesus wants to gut here is that life is all about you. Life is all about you. Life is about protecting yourself. Life is about getting more for yourself. Life is about you. And he's saying, listen, it's just not. It's just not. It's going to be about me. Because if, if it's about you, then you're going to slap the other person. If it's about you, then you're going to punish the other person if at all possible. If it's about you, you're not going to be a very good husband, neighbor, wife, family member. Why? Because they are all here for you. Right? And if we're honest, we can think of moments in our lives where it's been about us. Where we can see, I wasn't serving my wife well because I thought she was here to meet my needs. I wasn't serving my kids very well because I thought they were here to make me look good. And when they don't make me look good, I get angry, you know. I wasn't serving my neighbor well because he's here for me, you know. I borrow his stuff. He doesn't borrow my stuff. And so when when we start to grasp this idea that this isn't about us, we can start putting one foot in front of the other and walking forward in this. How good of a friend are you? How good of a coworker are you? Like when you walk into a room, are people like, yes, it's going to get better. Is that what people think when you step into a space? Or they're like, it's going to get better. Maybe it was good, but it's going to get better because Brian's here, you know? Or do you walk into a space and it's kind of like, oh, how do I get out of here, you know? People kind of have a, have a look on their face, you know, and maybe it's their problem or maybe life's about you and people know it because we can kind of smell this on people, you know, we can kind of whiff this out pretty quick that life's sort of about you and it's all the little things, you know, how quick are you to serve? How quick are you to help? How quick are you to give generously of yourself and your resources? We, we smell it pretty quick and, and it, and it, it, it hurts us. It hurts our relationships. The other issue with this is it kind of sounds weak, doesn't it? As a man, as a man, I feel like a strong man fights back. A strong man fights back. Would you let somebody slap you on the cheek and just stand there? This is hard stuff. This is hard stuff. And, and the thing is, I think when we finally figure out that this isn't about you, there's going to be some real blessings in this. And the thing is, we also see in Jesus, we see Jesus doing things funny in his ministry as well. Like he, he gives to the poor. He, he doesn't retaliate when people come after him. And he's even kind of unfair in the way that he does it. You know, he gives things to people that wouldn't 
ultimately follow him, would ultimately abandon him. You know, he shows up into a city. He gathers this crowd of hungry people. And he doesn't say, listen, I don't know who's going to follow me. Let me see. Okay, you're going to follow me. You're going to follow me. So I'm going to give food to you. He gives food to everybody. People who would ultimately curse him and send him to the cross. That's, that doesn't make sense to us, does it? This is kind of a counterintuitive thing. He wasn't fair. He would walk into a room and he'd see all of these needy, messed up people with physical ailments. And he'd walk over, he'd step over one to go heal another. And then he'd walk out of the room. This is how Jesus did ministry. It's, it's bizarre sometimes. What is, what is he getting at here? Turn the other cheek. Help those that would persecute you. We have to read on. I have to read on because because if we stop here, we end up with a kind of a skewed perspective of what this life should look like. Um, I've got some friends that um, they had this philosophy that they should never lock the doors on their house. And that that was kind of the application of this scripture was that if somebody ever wants something or ever needs something from you, uh, life's not about you, not about keeping your stuff. And so just don't lock your your doors. And so... Um, one, that worked great, and it was actually pretty cool because I could, like, stop in and grab a sandwich whenever I wanted to if they were, like, out of town. I mean, they'd be on vacation, and they'd leave this place unlocked. It's just, and it, it really, it was great for years. They were okay with that. Um, lived right in the middle of town. And then one day, two in the morning, their daughter is screaming from her bedroom. Well, she, she has this room on the side of the house, and it's got this sliding glass door, not locked. And it's two in the morning, this man opens the door and walks into her bedroom and she flips out rightfully so and the dad comes running in and here's this man he's trying to find his way out of the room it's dark and he stumbles outside and off he goes and they they figured out this was their neighbor had just had a little too much to drink that night and was wandering around the neighborhood looking for open doors and he actually had a really good relationship with the dad in the house and so he just wanted to have a talk and he he ended up in her bedroom at two in the morning freaked them out and from then on they locked their doors so what does this mean? Does this mean you don't, if you lock your doors, you're in some way saying, well, I don't trust God. You know, um, if you lock your car door, it means you don't trust because somebody's going to steal your junk. And I don't know, like, what is, what is he trying to get at here? We have to kind of read on here. That was kind of the deconstruction. This is sort of the reconstruction. 43, it says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He's talking about this, this kind of common grace that's, that all of humanity benefits from. That whether you, somebody's evil or good, they get rain and they get food. God they get sun, the sun rises and the sun sets. There's a, there's a certain blessing and grace on all of humanity. 46 says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How's that for a high bar? Go be perfect. Good luck. Your heavenly father is perfect. This is hard stuff, but it's, he's really getting at the heart of what he's trying to say here. He's saying, how easy is it to love somebody who loves you? Do you love people that love you? Of course we do. 
You give me a bunch of presents and tell me how much you love me, I'll probably love you back. That's pretty easy to do. Um, It's pretty hard if you hate me. And as I look at my life, I go, how much of my life is spent with people that don't necessarily like me? Or how much of my life is spent with people who can't give me anything? People that, that, that can't provide anything for the relationship. Like, they're going to take. I love, I love having a relationship with givers, right? Everybody loves a good giver. Somebody who gives into the relationship. Somebody who's going to help, who's fun to hang out with. But as you look at your life, do you spend any time with people that can't give into the relationship? That people that maybe even don't like you. People that might even persecute you. Do you invest anything into those relationships or do you just spend all your time with people that love you? Because Jesus says, what, what reward is there there? Of course you're going to love people that love you. What about the people that hate you? There is where the reward is going to be. And then he says, be perfect. And this is what he's really saying here is that Jesus sets the standard for love. In the end, Jesus sets the standard. This this self-sacrificial love of God who enters into solidarity with humanity, comes down, puts on the skin of man, lives with us, dies, and is resurrected. This is the love of Christ who gives himself, humbles himself even unto a cross. That's the kind of love that we have as our standard when it comes to people who persecute us. And this is hard. And this doesn't make sense to us. And it hurts. And it's going to take some work and some disassembly. Of our worldview. Again, if we think this is about us, this isn't going to work. If we think that life is about us, we're not going to go anywhere from here. Here's the, here's the problem. Here's the issue. Redemption always demands a redeemer. It always demands a redeemer. If you want to see redemption in your life, there needs to be somebody who's doing the redeeming. And we're always hoping that it's going to be somebody else. You know? We're always going, well, maybe if they came to me and repaired the relationship, maybe if they came to me and apologized, you know, maybe if they were to serve me, I'd start to love them a little bit more. Redemption always demands a redeemer. And here's what, here's what I want to say this isn't saying. This isn't saying just be nice and it's all going to work out. Because that's not the truth, right? How many of you have been nice and it didn't work out very well? Like, have you, have you cared for somebody, shown love to somebody, and then in the end, they were just emboldened in their rage? You know, they were, just, they, were, they were more angry with you than they ever were before. This happens all the time. He's not saying, well, just if you just love them and give them your purple car, they're going to love you back. It just doesn't work like that, right? Sometimes people will hate you, and they're going to hate you. And if we look at the Son of Man, he got crucified. When he loved people. So this doesn't always work out the way that we want it to. The purpose of this entire text is one thing. Love. Love is the purpose of this entire text. The spirit of this entire text is how do you love people? What does it look like to love people in your life? Because sometimes the most loving thing to do is the opposite of what Jesus just said. What does that look like? Cadence is uh, my seven-year-old, and this summer we were out dip netting at the mouth of the Kenai, and I have this old 1985 three-wheeler, Honda Big Red, pretty awesome, the Alaska Special, and we had it out on the beach, and as a dad, what I kind of feel like is I am the no guy. You ever, any dads ever feel like, I just feel like I'm always saying no to everything, just the no guy. I feel like the no guy sometimes, and so once in a while, I'll just say, yes. You know, not even think about it. I just want to feel good. I just want to say yes to something. So, so she goes, Daddy, I want to drive the three-wheeler. I say yes. And so 
I didn't just let her get on it. I'm not, I'm not that dumb. I, I got on the back and I'm like, okay, here's how we do this. And she sits in my lap and sits in front of me. She's very excited. We're going to start the three-wheeler. And I go, well, here's the brake and here's the throttle. And she reaches for the throttle and just pins it, right? And the thing goes up in a wheelie and it launches forward. And my buddy's daughter is right in front of us. And I'm like, we're going to kill somebody. And, and I hit the brake. I slam on the other brake as quickly as I can. The thing pivots down. We kind of bounce around a little bit. And we are inches from this other little girl. Mama comes running over. My baby! like trying to save her and cadence is crying she's crying i'm crying everybody's crying it's a bad moment it's not and i was like oh bad dad moment you know bad decision why would you do that just i mean she just sees a lever you push it that's what you do and i just thought you know what if i just give her what i want or what she wants maybe that's gonna maybe that's gonna be loving her and make her feel love but if you know uh, anything about parenting, you know that giving your kids what they want isn't always loving them. And as we look at the world around us, um, for the people in your life, giving them what they asked for or letting them take what they want isn't always the most loving thing that you can do. No matter what your response is in a situation where somebody's trying to take something from you or somebody's hurting you in a, in a relationship or offending you, the, the response always needs to be motivated by Love by love and throughout scripture. It's interesting as as there's sin in the church as there's problems with the early church and, and even before that as we see in the Old Testament There's guys like this guy Ezra who when he sees sin in the body uh, in, in the people of God He he's so frustrated with them. He starts pulling out his his chin hair It says he's like yanking his beard hair out and then there's this guy Nehemiah when he sees sin in the church with the people He starts running through the city with rods and sticks beating them. So I I don't know what your tendency is. I don't know, like, are you more of a, like an Ezra or a Nehemiah? Because I'm, I'm probably a little bit more of like an Ezra. I don't just beat people with sticks typically um, on a weekday. And, but I, I tend to be frustrated on the inside. Like I'm the kind of person, my battles, many of which are internal. Um, I can, I can look like I'm fine with you on the outside and crucify you in my mind, you know, and I can look like I'm okay, but really on the inside, I just, I just am seeing you on fire, you know, uh, and maybe you've been there. Maybe there's somebody in your life that when, when you see their number on your phone, you're just like, ah, you just get the rage, you know, or you think maybe you've forgiven them and you see them on the street and you're like, ah, there it is. There's that feeling again. You know, it's not, it's not gone. I don't know how you deal with it, but it always has to be motivated by love, whatever your response is. And sometimes in the church, that means protecting each other. Sometimes if if you're my brother and I love you and you're hurting yourself or you're hurting somebody in your life, there are moments where I'm going to step in and I'm going to stop you. You know what? I'm going to step in. I'm going to try to help you because that is what it means to love you. It doesn't mean to sit in that moment. It means to stand, you know. There are moments where, where you need to step into people's lives. There are moments where you just need to close your mouth and listen. But other moments where we need to stand and do something about it. So that's with my brother in Christ, with, with somebody who is, whose vertical relationship is healed. I'm trying to help them horizontally to, to fix things. But how about in the world as people, people who don't claim to know God, people who don't follow God, as we see injustice and pain and hurting in the world, what do we do with that? What's the church's role? What is your role? Is it to just turn the other cheek and say, well, people are going to be people and this is what we expect from the world. 
You know, we don't expect regenerate behavior from people who are not regenerated by Christ. So it's a lot of people would say, well, you just you just step back. Then you let the world kind of destroy itself. And that's the best way to love them. Um, and, and there's something to that. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't think putting the Christ back in Christmas is going to change a whole lot of souls. You know, uh, just throw myself out there a little bit. Um, some of these things we were like, this is going to change people. I don't think you can regulate morality in the sense that it's going to save anybody or it's going to get anybody to follow Jesus. You can't get people to act good enough to get into the kingdom. It never works. And so there's so much truth there. But at the same time, there's a place for the people of God to stand up. There's a place where where something inside of your soul just kind of snaps because somebody's being so mistreated or you see somebody who's so helpless and can't help themselves that you have to go over and you have to do something about it. That's redemption written into your heart. That is God and, and that is Christ coming out of your actions. And so I think we need to we don't want to miss opportunities to stand up for what's right either. You know, we want to be led by God and, and dealing with those moments individually it's like our, our Radiant Women's Ministry. They're um, connecting with a ministry down in Anchorage that's helping pull women out of the sex trade. And, and this is a big deal in Anchorage. There's sex trafficking happening in Anchorage. These women who don't know how to get out, they don't know what they would do. They don't know where they'd find work. Nobody loves them. Nobody cares for them. And so I was talking with some of the ladies that were at um, one, of the, one of the women's events, and they were just in tears talking about how they just want to do something about this. This is this desire to see redemption in the lives of others. It's a good thing. We do urban mission. We head downtown, just give clothing and food to people that don't have any and just show God's love to them. We have a ministry called Green Creations in Jordan where these women have been giving, given jobs and skills to make money and to be productive parts of the society where they've already been discarded. Their husbands have kind of put them out on the street and they have no life ahead of them. And so we've come in and we have given them opportunities to work and a place to have community, a safe place to come and be. And this in this way, we're showing redemption. We are rehearsing the redemption of Christ vertically in our lives, horizontally. Do you see that? Like we need to be always rehearsing what happened vertically, horizontally in our lives with each other. It always has to be driven by love. In times of division, in times of racial division, with the whole Ferguson thing, you guys reading about that? It's just crazy. Um, in times of racial dis- division, are we, are we choosing love? Are we driven by love? And this is hard because... And I'm not going to go into it too much, but I will say that I have seen brothers and sisters in Christ speak and act in ways that surprise me, you know, speak and act in ways that don't look much like Christ. And it's funny how things like that start to kind of wring the sin out of the corners of our hearts, you know. You know, you you know, when you thought you were squeaky clean, you thought you were good and then you acted in a way that surprises you. Have you surprised yourself with your frustration or with your retaliation and been like, where did that come from? There's growth to be had. There's a long ways to go. How about in that type of situation? What does redemption look like? Ephesians 2, 14. If you want to flip over to that in your Bibles or read that up on the screen. It says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. He's talking about Jesus. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us by us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He's talking about the Jews 
in the, in the Gentiles. And he's not just speaking to first century Jews and, t- and Gentiles. He's speaking to us, the church. He's saying, you guys are separate. And he's trying to draw them both in to the heart of God and saying, you guys are separate. But Jesus, because of Jesus, you can be one. He offers this grace to both of you. He's preaching unity. He's preaching this, this community, this, this open space that the family of God is open to anyone from anywhere. It's powerful. And the church, the church will speak to this unity or to this disunity but by the way that we operate. Are you contributing to unity or to disunity in the way that you operate your life? Because eternity is going to be diverse. If you don't like diversity, you're going to hate eternity. You're just going to. It's going to be diverse. There's going to be people from a lot of different backgrounds, from a lot of different places. In the end, do you love people? Do you love people? And if God is love and we're in God, then we're going to choose love. If you're not choosing love, you have to go back and go, am I, in, am I in Christ? If I'm in Christ, I'm going to love people the way that he loves people. And it's, this is what I really want because the thing about God is God doesn't just love, God is love. Do you see the difference there? Like God doesn't just choose to love you sometimes. He doesn't put on love like an ugly Christmas sweater and then take it off, you know. He is love at his very core. And this is what I want for us because I can choose to love sometimes. Like all of you have probably done loving things occasionally. You know, maybe you go do some, you go downtown and serve some soup at the soup kitchen this time of year. People during Christmas act kind of loving, you know. It feels good. It feels good, but it feels good when we do it our way, you know. It feels good to do love our way. Like, oh, that was good. I went and served somebody. I felt good about it. Even in our love, we're selfish. Even in our love, we think it's about us, you know? You go and mow your neighbor's yard. You go and snowblow or shovel this time of year. In the end, was it about caring for them? Or was it about the feeling that you got when you were done? I'll tell you, it's hard. It's hard. I want God to come in, renovate my heart, change me from the inside, and make love who I am, not just something I do sometimes. That's what I want for myself. It's what I want for you. Ephesians 1, 3 says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. He's saying he's got this big grand plan to unite everything to him. Things on heaven and things on earth. Jesus came and he lavishes his gift of grace on all of humanity. And like anybody who receives a gift, as people, we can either respond with great gratitude or great entitlement. And I'm worried that in the church sometimes we feel more entitled than we feel grateful. You know, when you start to think about it, you're like, Jesus, who is God, comes from heaven in this amazing act of kindness to humanity, comes to earth. And you start to think about it, you're like, I must be pretty awesome. Like, wow, God came to earth for me? And we even say Jesus is a gift to humanity, is he? He is. But here's the deal. Jesus is a gift to humanity, but Jesus isn't about humanity. And if we don't get that, again, it all comes back to us. We start realizing that everything comes back to how we feel about ourselves. This whole place is just for us. Jesus is a gift to humanity, but he's not about humanity. Ultimately, God sent Jesus to glorify himself. 
John Piper, there's a quote that I read this week that I thought was great. It said, grace is the pleasure of God to magnify the worth of God by giving sinners the right and power to delight in God without obscuring the glory of God. That was beautiful. I thought that was a great way of saying that God gives us this amazing grace in the end to magnify himself. Don't take his grace and start to think that this is about you. As if God would bow down at your altar. We are here for him. And there's, there's so much blessing to be found in that. And the thing is, if, if church and Christianity is starting to feel a little irrelevant in your life, like if you've been around the church for a while and maybe you've come here and you're starting to feel like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'll tell you, the problem is you probably think this is about you. This this is all going to get pretty boring if this is about you, you know? And it would be weird to think that all of eternity is spent glorifying God, but this earth is just about you, you know? But when we switch this, when we get Jesus is trying to rearrange and, and, and rework our entire worldview and help us to see that this isn't about him. When we catch that, all of a sudden this has a new purpose, you know, like when you get up on Sunday morning, when you wake up and you're like, do I go to church? Is your first question, do I need it? Or is it do they need me? You know, when it comes to your family, do you do you wake up and think, I don't know if I want to be married today? You know, I don't know if I want to be with this family. Is it, is it, do I need them? Do I want them or do they need me? You know, is your life driven by what can I get out of this place or what can I give to this place? And this is why churches fight about stupid stuff. This is why people get upset about things that don't matter is because we start to think this is about us and we get hung up on things and you know what would be really sad is if one day we get to heaven and god is standing there and he's like you missed it you know that thing that you were so bothered by you know that stuff that just you obsessed about that you let bring division between you and other people i didn't care about that stuff that's not what i what mattered to me can you imagine that feeling See, this isn't about you. Jesus even says this. He says, take up your cross and follow me. And, and too often I feel like Christianity has been sold as a bill of goods. Like, come get your Christianity. Come to ACF Church. You know, it's going to make you feel better. It's going to, you know, it's going to serve you. It's going to make your family better. It's going to make you happy. And in the end, we go, man, this, this didn't serve me the way I wanted it to. You know, I kind of feel like I'm being crucified in life. Uh, maybe I'll go do something else, you know. And, but when we see this is about God, it changes our perspective. All of a sudden, this becomes very, very relevant. Even this man comes to Jesus and says, hey, my father just died. Can I go to his funeral? And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. That's pretty harsh, Jesus. Can you imagine? Like, what if we did ministry like that out here? Hey, Brian, I know I was on worship team this week, but my dad just died and I got to go to a funeral. I'm like, yeah, let the dead bury their own dead. We'll see you on Thursday for rehearsal. You know, can you imagine? Would you come to that church? You're like, no way. I'm not going to that church. I'd never go back. And that's most of what people did with Jesus. And I'm not going to follow that guy anymore. That costs way too much. And the cost, you guys, the cost is, it is great. But the cost is what makes this a blessing. And over time, I think what happens is God rearranges our priorities and gives us a vision for something so much greater. And all of a sudden, the church becomes something that we're a part of instead of just something that we attend. You know? 
Here's a few things. This is hard. This is counterintuitive. But a few things that, that help us to be agents of redemption in this world. The first one is redemption takes community. It takes community. It takes being part of a gathering of people. It takes being in a life group. It takes having close friends that know you. Like, I don't know if anybody knows you at a deep level. You know, you might have acquaintances or people that you'd call friends, but does anybody know what your deep pains are? Does anybody know, like, what makes you tick, what makes you excited about life? You know, in a culture of depression, you know, Alaska is one of the highest places uh, rated for suicides. There's a lot of depressed people. I have to believe that some of you in this room are are depressed and down on life and, and don't feel very good about yourself. Does anybody know that? Do you tell people, I just, I plead with you, would you tell somebody? Would you talk with people? And through that, what's going to happen is there's going to be redemption. God's going to work through that. It's going to be powerful. Find a life group, you guys. We've got a bunch of life groups in our church, and these are just a great space to kind of grow and and be in community with others. If you haven't found one that fits you, just email the church, email the office this week, and we'll help you start one. Super easy. Just start meeting at your house. We'll set you up with a, with a study and we'll get you going on it. Be in community, you guys. The next thing, redemption takes vision. It's going to take a vision for something greater than what's in front of you. Romans 8 says this, or Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. That's a hard verse. It sounds pretty. It looks good cross-stitched on a blanket somewhere but it it hurts the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's that takes vision to be able to see your life not for just what you're going to get today or even in your five-year plan but for eternity after you die that everything that we invest in here today is an investment in eternity that's hard to see There's a guy in our church who uh, showed up right after he had heart surgery. He's back there worshiping Jesus with staples in his chest, you know, showed him to me. And I was like, wow, that's just amazing to me that he comes and he's part of the community of God and he's worshiping in pain. And for many of you, that's what life's like. Worship oftentimes is painful. And that's that's part of what, what that does is it makes us realize this isn't about us. And that's a beautiful thing. We're living for the glory that is to come. All that we do, all that we have, we're pouring it all in the pot of eternity. You know, it's like everything that I have, it's all about eternity. It's all that's going to matter. Everything else is going to burn in the end. I don't care about it. It's all going to get old and rot. But in the end, it's about eternity. You know, studies show that people who have more money aren't actually more generous. You know that? Like as you look at the world today, if, if you're waiting to get to this pay scale or to have these resources or to have this stuff figured out in your life. And at that point, you're going to be a generous person. It's probably not going to happen. You know, in fact, people with less and end up being more generous in our culture today, because I think the reality is the more that we have and we are all blessed people with more than we ever needed, the more that we have, the uh, the more entitled we start to feel. And I know there's some of you that don't have much, and I understand that. But as we walk down this road, we have to have a vision for eternity, a vision. And even if you don't have anything to your name, you're like the widow with the two coins, you know. It's like you come to God and her gift before Jesus is worth more than anybody else's gift because she gave it. She gave it all, you know. Redemption takes humility. It takes humility. It takes a willingness to see that this isn't about you. To see that there's this vast chasm between our actions and God's holiness. 
And it's to see that, that Jesus came in and redeemed this vertical relationship. And so all we could possibly do, because we're so grateful for God, is redeem these horizontal relationships. It takes, hum, it takes humility. It takes a humble people and an aware people to go out through the world and say, listen, this isn't about my pride. This isn't about me. It's about others. Next thing, redemption takes forgiveness. This is one of the hardest ones. It's going to take forgiveness. How quickly do you forgive? How long do you hold on to unforgiveness? Do you retaliate? Is one of your ways of retaliating to just hold on to unforgiveness? A friend of mine, he, he's an army guy, and he was telling me a story about how he's in Afghanistan, and their, uh, their vehicle got hit with this white phosphorus grenade, which I don't know anything about these except for that the stuff, it gets in the vehicle and gets on all the guys. And he's a medic, and he ends up getting these guys out of the car, and they're just, they're just burning. And you can't just bandage it up. You have to literally cut it out. And this was the picture in my mind as I was praying about this this week for our church, that we would be a people of forgiveness, and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt us. And I don't, I don't know if we want this, but on the other end is so much blessing and so much peace. But it takes us being willing to go through the pain and to sacrifice our pride and to just cut out the unforgiveness in our lives so that we might honor God with our lips and with our actions. And here's the thing. I think somebody here probably needs to make a phone call after church. I think somebody here probably needs to send a text. Or, or maybe, maybe somebody here just needs to grab the hand of somebody next to you to tell your own soul that there is no place for unforgiveness in the heart of those who have been redeemed by Christ. There's just no place for it. How could we have unforgiveness towards others when God has forgiven us of so much? So I don't know what you need to do. Maybe you just need, need to take a step. You probably already know what you need to do. But I just pray you would do it. The last one is this. Redemption takes love. It takes love. It all comes down to this. Will you love the people in this world? Will you love those that hurt you, that persecute you? Will you use love as the filter by which you choose to act instead of your own mind? Because if it's your own mind, you're just going to steal back the purple car and you're going to hurt the person next to you and you're going to hurt yourself. Show love. Do you love people? How are you going to love people around you this Christmas? Because the success of your Christmas this year is not going to be measured by the debt that you rack up on your credit cards. It's going to be measured by how well you loved people. That's how you're going to measure, just like your life. At the end, it's not going to be measured by how much junk you acquired. It's not going to be measured by how many gifts you gave your kids. And in the end, you know what? The best memories from my childhood about Christmas are memories of us just with people. You know, there were a few times we went and served the homeless and helped out those who were in need. I can't remember what I got for Christmas when I was six years old, you know. But I remember going and showing love to people, and I remember feeling love from people. And that, in the end, is what's going to make this Christmas amazing for you. Did you love people? Do you care for the marginalized? Do you care for the hurting? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself and what you want and make this world about God and others? How about this church? Are you willing to bring people here into this community? This is a huge deal, you guys. And we, we actually, I just heard this week, we had 10 new commitments to Christ in the past couple weeks. So can we give God a hand for that? Isn't that awesome?
I just, I love that. I just think God is continuing to work in our community. He's continuing to draw people to himself. And it's not because of us or anything about us. It's, it's the gospel at work in your lives. It's drawing people here to hear more truth about Jesus. And I just love that people are making that choice. I was in the airport coming back from my grandfather's funeral, talking with a couple there and ended up inviting them to church. And they came last week. And I mean, it's just it's little conversations. And you know what, you guys, this isn't the only place that God works. And I don't believe that. But God is working here. And sometimes this is a good first step for people as they're in a new city trying to find people to, uh, to, to get to know and a community to be a part of. I read this quote this week. It said, if the gospel isn't touching others, it's probably not touching you. And that's been challenging me all week. Is the gospel that's in your life touching others? If it's not, is it truly touching you? Is the love of God coming out of your life into those in your world? And if it's not, how can it be touching you? It's like we spoke a few weeks ago. Those who are... Those who love much or those who have been loved much, love much. And if you understand God's grace and love in deep and powerful ways, you're going to love others in deep and powerful ways. So here's my prayer. My prayer is that you be a person of redemption this week. That you look for little moments to redeem. That you would redeem some of the relationships in your life. And that on December 26th, that you'd be putting away your Christmas Decorations, and you'd realize that this Christmas season has actually changed your life. That you're actually different. Not because of presence in Garland, but because of Christ himself. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for your grace. God, we just need more of you in our lives and less of us. Father, this isn't the message that we're getting from all directions. There's so much pressure to make this about ourselves. God, I just know in my heart when I've lived that way, it's been so empty. Father, would you, would you come into this place? Would you move in our hearts and cause us to be worshipers of you? God, I pray for those in this room that are here that are far from you. God, those who maybe don't believe in you or just here kind of checking things out. Father, I just pray that the gospel would well up in their souls and that the Spirit would speak to them, God, and that you would make yourself known to them in powerful, powerful ways. God, you want to redeem us. All of the broken things in our life, you want to redeem them, God. And you promise that one day you will make every wrong right and you will heal every hurt. Father, we look forward to that day. I pray that in the process, on the journey, God, we would be a people of redemption. And in that way, God, we would reveal you, Christ, crucified, buried, and resurrected for the world. Prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.